Welcome back to the Kingsway Podcast. Welcome. Um, today is not me and Trevor, but it is me and John, John. Cowherd. Mm-hmm. Yes, teaching pastor here. Yeah. Elder, uh, hang around on Wednesday kind of guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I had to describe, if I'd, I don't think we would have ever put out a job description for what John does, but what he does is so valuable because of who he is. And really, we just want to hang out with him. Yeah, yeah. That's my, where the title and the power come from. My wife asked me, what do you do on Wednesdays? And I just say quality control. That's, yeah. that's my job. Yeah, just keeps us to, in line. Just, yeah, no, just, <laughs> it's a nice break for me personally. Uh, you know, I work yeah. as an attorney during the rest of the week. So it's it's a very, very nice break. So uh, after practicing law for 37 years, and you know, it's kind of nice. Law. And continuing, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, Wednesdays are a real treat for me. And, yeah. and hopefully I don't get in the way. That shouldn't be quality control. No, just, I don't think you don't do. mess it up. John, John joins us for a handful of things, a few elder responsibilities, a few hanging out, talking, bounce mm-hmm. ideas off of him, responsibilities. Yeah. And then he's a part of our preaching planning mm-hmm. meeting on Wednesdays, which yeah. is why we seem so smart, is because we actually have five to seven brains behind right. every sermon instead yes. of one. Yes. Um, but John is our expert on the law uh, during the mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. And then on Wednesdays, he's our expert on the law. That's such a dumb joke. The law. But... <laughs> God's law. <laughs> I we we John wasn't there today for our meeting, and uh, we we were like, "Hey, where's this other thing in Matthew?" And none of us just knew it off the top <laughs> oh, of our shoot. heads. And oh, we were like, "How disappointing!" We were like, "This is why we need John here. He's our actual Jesse dis- expert on the text." Disappoints me in that he, sh- he, he wasn't have it. Either, oh, that's okay. Yeah, it was me, Trevor, he's and preparing Angela. for a wedding. Yeah, I saw yeah. that text. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I'm preparing well. for the same wedding. Anyway, but we're not here for this. Right. Uh, me and John Coward are here for our latest installment of the Sunday Study Hall. So this is the first study hall in a while where we're actually putting it out the week that we preach the sermon. In a timely manner. In a timely manner. I finally caught up. Okay. Uh, So this is now actually on time. But... Uh, if you didn't hear the sermon, if you don't go to our church, that's mm-hmm. A-OK. We do a little recap at the beginning mm-hmm. so that you can get up to speed on the Bible text we preached, and then uh, mm-hmm. you can jump in the deep yeah. end with us. Yeah. Uh, so doesn't matter if you're here on Sunday. If you come to our church at all, uh, we're glad to have you. So Straight in, out of Matthew. We're doing a study on Matthew. So. Yes, study yeah. on Matthew. We're in chapter 4. Just give us the, like, the... What what subtitles are in this section? Yeah. And then we'll do the summary. Okay, so uh, I wrote down kind of my thoughts from the sermon based upon my outline. And so... Before we do that, just like what what is the section heading of yes. this? Yes, okay. So it's uh, Matthew chapter 4. It's verses 1 through 11. It's Jesus' temptation uh, when he is led by the Spirit into the uh, desert to be tempted uh, okay. by Satan. So it's that story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And now... With no further ado, I'm going to give you, if you're watching on YouTube, this makes it extra scary. Uh, I'm going to give you 90 seconds. Wow. I, I, you know, I was a track meet for two days last week, so this having this clock is pretty familiar to me at this point. It just so, helps us yeah. stay on time right. for the right. first, like, five minutes of the podcast, yeah. and yeah. then we just do whatever we want. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so 90 seconds. Okay. Kind of catch us up to speed. I'll on catch you up to speed. Give you the you highlights. About this. Yes, yes. Okay. So. Three, two, one. Okay, so we talked about how God, first of all, allows trials and temptations. So before we got into the actual temptations, we kind of looked at some 
some background ideas and information, kind of big picture ideas. And so one is that God, although God does not tempt us, he is, he is not tempted by sin, it says in James, nor does He tempt anyone. He does mm-hmm. allow trials, and He allows temptations. He did in Jesus' life, and He does in our life. So It's like a testing. It's a testing, yeah. And the same word in Greek means testing or temptation. And so we looked at that and why God allows uh, temptations, which is to make our faith stronger, to make us more resilient in this difficult world. Also looked at the idea of Satan, because in the first... Uh, the first verse of chapter 4 talks about how Satan is there to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. So we talked about whether Satan is actually a created being, is actually um, a, a person in a sense, or is he just an abstract idea, and talked about how the Bible does present Satan as our enemy, as our adversary, mm-hmm. and as certain, certainly somebody there who's there to oppose us. Then I talked about the three temptations, how... Uh, Satan came to Jesus to make him doubt God's provision. Fifteen seconds. God's protection and God's plan. And then finally looked at the application, which is simply to know your Bible, know your adversary, and to know your Savior. Great. So, that wrapped up way faster than I thought it was going yeah. to. Eight seconds to spare. And I could go on, but that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I think that's good. Uh, we, I don't know if this is one of the questions on here, but we, we talked about a good amount last week and this week. Okay. Um, whether... I want to hit this first before we get to anything else, probably because it's the juiciest thing we could talk about all okay. day. Uh, so you talked about how um, there's this this fork in the road between how people think about Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is he a real being, or is he like the personified antagonist to God? Um, what I've heard kind of a, both ways is, yeah. one, it's it's really easy to say he's a being. Right. And I, I would kind of tend to lean this way, and I think yeah. you would too. Yeah. It's easy to say he's a being because there are so many places in Scripture where it seems like Talks he's about, a being. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> to challenge that a little bit, that idea has been, mm-hmm. been grown over the scope of biblical history to where the people who wrote uh, about the serpent and the garden, it was probably some spiritual being. But is that the same first name, last name, social security number being as... The mm-hmm. red dragon in Revelation chapter twelve mm-hmm. is that is that one one being who's whatever? So there's some wiggle yeah. room, but yeah. but it seems like the New Testament at least has some single personified at least head of antagonism to God and Jesus and and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what God wants out of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the other option is people do enough evil on their own. This is a way to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. like even. There's a there's a notion today that some people say the devil made me do it mm-hmm. way too quick, mm-hmm. but most of what we see the evil and the atrocities and the whatever and old and New Testament and all these things are just people making decisions and at most being convinced that mm-hmm. this is a worthwhile decision. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like eating the fruit from the tree, Satan, the the Satan figure didn't hand that to them. They did every action on their own. Mm-hmm. They were just convinced mm-hmm. it was a good idea. Yeah. And is yeah. that like the human heart? Is that our desire to support ourselves and bless ourselves and leave mm-hmm. others unblessed? Is that so there's kind of two sides. Is is this Jesus being tempted by his desires? And they're talking about it by personifying some mm-hmm. some being yeah. who is Jesus' fleshly desires mm-hmm. that he is fighting off? Mm-hmm. Or is this a being who's there? 
actually with him. Well, James says that God cannot be tempted. Yeah. So if Jesus is God, man and God, then at least the God side of him could not be tempted by evil, but he is also fully man. So I guess he could be, he certainly was tempted, it says in Hebrews, he was tempted in chapter four of Hebrews. Is his God-sized willpower part of what he emptied himself of when he emptied himself in the incarnation and as he took on the form of a servant and kept lowering himself? You know, it's one of those issues that I don't think it, it's a salvation issue. I mean, I think you can yeah. believe either way and still be in the kingdom. I don't think it's yeah. it's one of those absolute uh, basic necessities you have to have to have salvation and, and be a true Christian. I I just I I I just read the Bible for what it says, and and in places like First Peter says that we have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around looking yeah. to devour us. Uh, Paul talked about, and I've talked about in my sermon how he was. Um, had a flesh in his uh, a thorn in his flesh that was a messenger from Satan. Yeah. So Paul talks about it. Peter talks about uh, Satan as this uh, distinct being who's there yeah. to be our adversary and to and to oppose us. And the, certainly it appears that way in the Book of Job as well and in other places. Yeah, that's not to say we don't have our own problems with evil. Yeah. We certainly yeah. do. Uh, and I can see the argument about, well, it's just a way of expressing our own evil. Yeah. I can see that, and that has some, uh, I guess, uh, some validity to it or at least some appeal to it. But uh, to me, the Bible does project Satan as a different, distinct being with his own kingdom, and a third of the angels fell with Satan and those sort of things. So yeah. it appears to be a created being that's fallen away and if you've ever read uh, the Screw Tape Letters, yeah, uh, which is if you haven't, do so. Uh, it's a great. Well, thank you, Brian. It's a great way, I think, of thinking of Satan as as really as as a distinct being out there whose whose job it is to trip us up and either yeah. to keep us out of the kingdom altogether, or if we're in the kingdom, we've been saved to really negate our effectiveness for the kingdom. Yeah, there are some some extreme edges of this I want to trim off. Okay, uh, one we've already talked about. I don't think there's a there's a hard dichotomy. Either we do evil or Satan does evil. Mm-hmm. I think the biblical picture is that we do evil and are pretty easily convinced. And there's right. a lot of evil in yeah, us. Yeah, I think we had that bent. And but at the same time, that there are spiritual beings on both sides. There's God and God's side of mm-hmm. the spiritual realm that want God's vision and God's will to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, think Matthew 6, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are, there are spiritual beings who want that, and there are spiritual mm-hmm. beings who don't and who want to see God suffer and who want to be God. Mm-hmm. And so there are ones convincing us the opposite way. And so there's a lot at stake in our obedience. But it's not like because there is any spiritual being out there yeah. who is evil or antagonistic to God that we aren't making our own choices. Mm-hmm. We still are. Now, uh, yeah. the yeah. opposite side is that, um, again, devil made me do it is such a common idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it assumes about whatever antagonistic spiritual being there is to God mm-hmm. is that he is closer to God in attributes than he actually is. Yeah. So, I don't think we or scripture believe that Satan or whatever head, uh, whatever you want to call him, is 
omniscient. He doesn't know everything. True. He can't read your mind. True. Uh, we don't think he's omnipotent. We don't think he's all powerful. He can't do everything. Right. He's not omnipresent. Mm-hmm. He's not everywhere all at once, the mm-hmm. same way that God seems to be, or mm-hmm. at least be able to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even, even some of the names for Satan, uh, the, the three most common I can think of are Satan, Lucifer, and devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, Satan is kind of a Hebrew transliteration. That's where they don't translate the word. They just yeah. say the original word, mm-hmm. and you just kind of have mm-hmm. to know it. So baptism, that's not an English word that was already around, and then they were translating mm-hmm. the Greek word for that and then came up with, that was the Greek word. Mm-hmm. You sound it out, yeah. and it sounds like baptism. Mm-hmm. I think they metamorphosis just, is kind of the same. Yeah, I think that meta- was a Greek yeah. word that sounds a lot like metaphor, more metamorphosis that we've used now yeah. and incorporated into English. So Satan mm-hmm. is just like the Hebrew name for this character. Mm-hmm. But what that means in Hebrew, again, it's not an English word. It was originally a Hebrew word, and we just stole it. We didn't come up with a new mm-hmm. one, and that's the same yeah. meaning. And that Hebrew word means the tester or the tempter or the, the accuser, the prosecuting attorney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Yeah, the accuser is great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we see him in Job uh, or somebody who is the accuser. It seems like God delegated that they would accuse people. That's yeah. their role in God's kingdom. Uh, and they come out accusing Job. Like, I bet he wouldn't be faithful if you didn't give him all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem yeah. like he's intruding in heaven, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's supposed to be up there. God's not like, guards, mm-hmm. how'd this yeah. guy get in here? He's like, mm-hmm. he's like taking him seriously. Yeah. So that's a title, a role. It could be a person in the same way that Jesus is called the Savior or the Christ. That's a title. That's a but title, it, he's, not a name. He is so much that title that, yeah. like, you wouldn't say that and think of somebody else. Right. It could be that. Right. We also have devil, which is an English word. Mm-hmm. It was translated to be devil. But even 100 years ago, devil could mean any antagonistic spiritual mm-hmm. being. Uh, it's evil with a D in front of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just all these devils out here. It's not mm-hmm. like about one person necessarily. So us taking it as one person is kind of yeah. whatever. And then Lucifer is Latin, a Latin transliteration for, I think, the morning star, mm-hmm. which is used of a Satan figure once, maybe twice. In Revelation? Where is it? I don't know. I think it's in like the or Old Testament, Daniel, in like Isaiah, oh, okay. Ezekiel, something okay. like that. Yeah. Whatever that king was, somewhere in the middle of like chapter 20s or so in Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. Anyway, okay. um, but there's there's one use of that towards him and one use of that towards God. And so, like, Lucifer isn't even a great name. It sounds scary. Yeah. But, yeah. like, yeah. it's just Latin, and it just means bright. Mm-hmm. So, like, whatever you want to say about this person, who I think is personified, I think it's really awkward to say there's no antagonistic head of the side against God's will and then read Matthew chapter 4. Mm-hmm. It's really awkward to say that. It's really mm-hmm. awkward to say that about Revelation 12. But we kind of don't know his name, and we kind of don't know some things about mm-hmm. him, so we just use names that we do know. Mm-hmm. But, like, it isn't as clear as we'd like it to be. There's a little mystery behind this character. And so, but in the in the ancient world, I'm talking a whole lot. Uh <laughs> For pre-modern people who thought there was a spiritual reality behind mm-hmm. every oh, yeah. natural occurrence, mm-hmm. it makes sense that you'd be afraid of the Satan figure, that you would uh, say things mm-hmm. like Satan made me do it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think you just brought up the screw tape letters to come back mm-hmm. full circle. 
that it makes a lot of sense that C.S. Lewis would write that because in our modern age and getting into our pre-modern age, we think we have the solution for everything. Mm -hmm. So no longer does a Satan figure have to tempt us towards things and be present. He can now hide and be thought Mm -hmm. of as non-existent, which is something you said in your sermon. Yeah, talked about that being one of Satan's biggest accomplishments in the last 200 years is what I said at the sermon. I don't know, 200 years is just kind of the modern age. Yeah. In my in my mind. Like um, 17 Yeah, you know, ish. well, yeah, from late, late 17 early 1800s, yeah. you know, when they started having the That's school of thought primarily in in Germany about critical theories. And anyway, yeah. um but the one of Satan's biggest accomplishments in that time period in the last 150 200 years has been to convince a lot of people that he doesn't exist. So if yeah. he doesn't exist, he can operate uh with a lot more freedom and yeah. have a lot more success than you otherwise would. So the, one of the points of the sermon was to be aware that there is an enemy. Yeah. Now, that enemy also is us in a sense. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, I believe, says, the human heart is deceitful above all else. Yeah. Uh, who can understand it? So we have to understand that we're the problem as well as this outside adversary that the Bible refers to Satan. So I think when yeah. Jesus came and died on the cross, he saved us both from the realm of Satan and his evil, but also from ourselves. And yeah. I think we're the problem. Uh, if you look, uh, there's an old saying about, I met the enemy and I am he. You know, you look in the mirror, that, yeah. that's your biggest problem every day. The person you Who's shave. from Michael Jackson? Uh, something man like that. Man in the mirror? Man in the mirror, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's uh, kind of close. But, uh, yeah, man in the mirror, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> no, I think really there's three compartments I've always thought of evil. There's there's the Satan, the outside force of Satan, there's also kind of the world, the society. Yeah, it's falling John apart. talks about the world a lot. Yeah. Be no longer conformed, Paul says, to this world. Uh, when the people in, in Samuel's time asked for a king, they wanted to be like everybody else in the world. So there's the yeah. world, there's this kind of societal pressure that we have, and then there's ourselves. There's just our own bent that we have for for evil on our own, yeah. So and our own selfishness. Can our, I add a fourth category? Yeah. And then there is... Uh, natural disasters, which are kind of not mm-hmm. any of those. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ill will is creating natural disasters, as far as I know. Um, but they're a sign of the presence of evil they're in the world. The that, yeah. Yeah. that the way God held everything together, the glue that He used, mm-hmm. it's kind of being melted by the heat of our rebellion. Yeah, Romans eight talks about the world groaning under our yeah. sin, and I think that's that's and that's a nobody's good explanation fault, for, but that does. Uh, for tidal that waves does create and orphans and, and people with yeah. lost limbs and burn scars yeah. and and cause damage mm-hmm. in our world. That is indirectly from evil. Nobody's doing evil against you when right. a hurricane hits right. you. But that's a good point. Yeah. But that is a sign of yeah. Yeah. our world feeling the evil yeah. that that it's living. And what in. we look for is at the end when Jesus comes back, creates a new heaven and new earth. Yeah. All that will be taken away. Yeah. So. Uh, you think about uh, what God has done for us is that he saved us right now from the penalty of sin. He is in the process of saving us from the power of sin, but eventually he'll save us from the presence of yeah. sin. We'll be outside of the presence of sin. So there'll be no more mourning, no more tears, yeah. and no more all that ugly stuff. And that's that's the promise that we look for. That's the hope. I mean, we still grieve about all those things and those natural disasters and all those 
terrible things that happened in our lives. Yeah. But we grieve with hope, and that's what Paul talks about. You know, we do not grieve as others grieve. We do grieve, but we don't grieve as the world grieves because yeah. we have this ultimate hope that yeah. God will put us there, and he will. He's promised he will do that. And if it's God's word and it's promised, what we do know is it will happen. Yeah. So where were we in? <laughs> I know. We've gotten was, a long way off I was off about from... to get to question one, okay, but question uh, one. out of ten, which... Uh, you're worried that this is going to go a long time. Yeah. We may yeah. not go through That's all a 10. Legitimate word. We're planning on not yeah. going through yeah. all 10. I just wanted to start with the Satan conversation with some of what we said and some of what uh okay. different, yeah. even even if you've only ever thought there is one actual being Satan mm-hmm. to kind of trim off some of the American caricatures and to trim off and to let you know mm-hmm. that there's more going on. It's not like the entire antagonism to God world is one being. Mm-hmm who is almost as powerful. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Um, I don't want to go back into it, but there's a part near the end of Revelation where uh, 12 through 14, 16-ish mm-hmm. sets up all these enemies to God mm-hmm. from top to bottom, Red yeah. Dragon in 12, Two Beasts in 13, mm-hmm. and somewhere between 14 and 15, 16, there's uh, the Whore of Babylon riding mm-hmm. on the big whatever and yeah. and all these enemies to God, and then they get they get taken down one by one, mm-hmm. None of this is necessarily chronological. It isn't, I mean, that part seems like it kind of is. But uh, when John, whoever's writing it, whether it's John the Apostle or some guy named John the Elder, if that's mm-hmm. a different guy, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, whoever's writing it, uh, he talks about how the coming tribulation of which I am a part with you. So, like, whatever he's talking about with all these beasts and all these yeah. things. He's experiencing it in the moment. That's not something we're waiting on necessarily. Um, Anyway, all this stuff happens, and the Satan figure, the dragon, is bound. Mm -hmm. And he is imprisoned, and his hands are chained. For a thousand years. For a thousand years, Mm -hmm. but his mouth is free. Mm -hmm. So, like, how much power do you think Satan has? Uh, I think he's very wise and shrewd. Mm -hmm very smart and knows what he's doing mm-hmm. with, with intentions to draw you away from God, but his hands are tied. Like he's not out here actively yeah. trying to attack in a, in a direct way, but he is out here convincing people that the opposite of God's plan is what is best right. for them. Right. So, okay. Right. All that to say, mm-hmm. that's where I feel like a generally healthy biblical posture on Satan. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. Let's get out of here. Okay. Okay. Uh, question one. Question one. By a robot. Uh, what is the significance of Jesus being led into the wilderness by the Spirit immediately after his baptism? Wow. It's uh, a big one. Yeah. What is the significance? Well, I think, I think it's to show that before Jesus enters into his full ministry where he preaches and he heals people. Yeah. And he gives the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. Before he gets to all that, in the back half of chapter 4, where he does start calling his disciples and asking, you know, telling people to repent, the, the kingdom is near. And he starts healing a lot of people. Before he starts doing all that good stuff, he's got to prove he is who Matthew says he is. Okay, yeah. So up to this point, God has pronounced him to be my son in whom I'm well pleased and whom I love. He's been... You know, he's brought through this royal line. He's been uh, singled out by the Magi as being the king of the Jews. So he's had all these people say who he is, but now it's time for him to prove who he is. Yeah. And he's got to come and prove that he is going to succeed where the first Adam failed. He's going to pass the test. 
and he's going to face temptation greater than Adam ever faced or greater than anybody else, and he's going to come through unscathed. And I, So I think he has to prove himself to be the true Messiah and the true Son of God before he begins his ministry. Yeah. And I talked about this in the sermon. I thought, well, you know, once you come out of that baptism, you got this mountaintop experience, you ought to have some kind of nice, you know, get together and have it catered and have a real nice meal yeah. and have all your friends over and celebrate. And then you launch off and, you know, you, you get your... Everybody's waving with the yeah, signs. Right, yeah, right. You get this big away. send off and you go to your new church and you start this great ministry. Doesn't yeah. happen that way. I think of, uh, did you ever watch the old Robin Hood cartoon where they're all animals? No. That Robin Hood's a fox and Prince John is a oh, yeah, yeah, lion yeah, yeah, or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think of the the way I think of how people would have thought that's a confusing sentence. Uh the way I yeah. imagine people would have yeah. thought about the Messiah, the chosen one throughout mm-hmm. all of time, riding in to start his ministry, it's like Prince John and that. Mm-hmm. Where he's riding yeah. around like real relaxed, laying down, crowns covering his eyes as he's sleeping in the back of his carriage, gold coins jangling around everywhere. Right. But what is the first thing Jesus does is actually lower himself and empty himself, right. which is a lot like Psalm 2. Mm-hmm. He actually um, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or if you see that grasp as like Adam and Eve taking the fruit, mm-hmm. something to be taken to his own advantage. Right. Right. But instead emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So these are yeah, like the two sides of his preparation for ministry. Yeah. So... I think, and I read something, I think, by Spurgeon this morning that talked mm-hmm. about this, how he's, like David, he is uh, he, he has both uh, great power and great love and, and, great, and great effect in his ministry, but he also has a lot of affliction. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. he has, he's both our triumphant savior, savior, but he's also one who is a man of sorrows and fa- faces affliction. So here we see him before he gets into his ministry, facing adversity, facing the same adversary that we have yeah. and the same afflictions that we have. And yet, unlike all these people before, not just Adam, but David and, and Noah, and all these people failed in some way. All yeah. men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's going to come through as the perfect Savior who triumphs over Satan before he starts his ministry. So I, I think that's, to me, that's why he goes immediately into yeah. the desert to be tempted as opposed to going straight into the ministry and going all of the good stuff. Can I ask you a really easy question, hopefully? Really simple question? Sure, I guess. Uh, did this happen to Jesus because he did anything wrong? No. I, well, I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so. Uh, you know... Is this, when you say is he did anything wrong, it, it, no, no, I don't think so. I think okay. it's just part of the plan, and I think, and I think that's the the problem with verse one as you read it, as I read it, and I mentioned this in the sermon. Is it seems like God's setting him up for failure, yeah. or in a sense, like you say, that he's being punished for something. Yeah, and I don't think there's any true indication of that. You know, it does say that uh, he who had no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So, yeah, you know. I've I've had people ask me before, did Jesus ever sin? Well, no, the Bible is pretty clear. He did not, he's never sinned. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's a punishment for him, but I think it is a test. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to clear that up because yeah. that's that's another common, I don't want to say superstition, but people have that thought. Even 
deeply committed Christians sometimes have that thought. Well, why did my grandma get and, cancer even though she was great and I've never sinned? And chapter 3, if you remember, ends with God's word still ringing out there. Yeah. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Yeah. So it's not like God's mad at him and they're like, oh, well, I got to, I got to, yeah. got to trim his sails a little bit. I got to punish him. Got to go this. on timeout yeah. in the desert yeah. <laughs> with no food. He's well pleased. And, yeah. and, and for us, a lot of times, God is still well pleased with us and we're facing trials. That's yeah. just, that's the, that's the Christian experience. Okay. Okay. Uh, this may lead into some Old Testament illusions, but okay. uh, why did Jesus fast for 40 days and 40 nights before being tempted by the devil? Yeah. So that's, yeah, there's a lot of Old Testament uh, um, symbolism in oh, that. Yeah. Now, putting the Old Testament aside, he did that because he could resist Satan no matter what his physical state was. Even yeah. though he was in the most weakened state, he could still overcome Satan. Unlike Adam, who was in the perfect situation in a garden, there was no uh, deprivations that he faced or anything, and he a- failed. It was a bright, sunny, 72. Everything was good. He had no skies, reason. Low yeah. wind. He was full no like after a buffet. Yeah, yeah. And and Jesus yeah. here has all the disadvantages, and yet he still defeats Satan and, yeah. and resists the temptation. But going back to the Old Testament analogy, obviously this refers back to a couple of things. One, Moses. Moses is on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and it says he did not yeah. eat or drink during that time period. So if you're listening to this as a Jewish audience, which was the primary audience at the time that Matthew was projecting this uh, this gospel for, they're thinking Moses mm-hmm. because 40 days, 40 nights, here's the new lawgiver, here's the new covenant, and, and he's going to be up on a mountain here in chapter 5 with the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like Moses who for 40 days and 40 nights before he brings down the tablets was without food and water. It also refers to Elijah, who in First uh, Kings 19, after his big win at Carmel, Mount Carmel, yeah. uh, and the prophets of Baal and all that, he has uh, 40 days and 40 nights where he's without, mm-hmm. uh, without food and water. And then also, it also goes back to the nation of Israel mm-hmm. in the desert and specifically refers to Deuteronomy chapter 8, where God puts the nation of Israel in the desert for 40 days or for 40 years yeah. to test them and to make sure that they rely on After they on had him. just been um, disobedient isn't exactly the right word, but mistrusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They refused to the go Israel into the promised land. Yeah, 12 spies yeah. to check on Canaan, which God said was theirs. Yeah. And 10 of the spies came back and said, it's real scary in there, let's not do it. Mm-hmm. And two said, it's real scary in there, but, but we, we know God who's scarier yeah. when he wants and to be. And they believed the 10, and, yeah. uh, and God punished them by putting them in the desert. But... Uh, again, this harks back. The forty days is mm-hmm. another way of pointing to the forty years. And Israel yeah. is referred to as God's true son in a couple of yeah. places in the Old Testament. So here is God's true son in the New Covenant in the New Testament being tested yeah. for forty days and forty nights, yeah. like God's original son Israel was tested yeah. for forty years in the desert. So would you also say Noah? Uh, yeah, Noah in some ways. Yes, with the it rained 40. for forty days, forty yeah. nights. Yeah. He was actually probably in that boat on the water for longer than forty. Yeah. But yeah, but, but uh, yeah, but God's judgment came down, and and the yeah. floods were forty. It says forty days and forty nights. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely uh, a reference to that. Forty is kind of a special number in the Bible. I'm not a real numbers guy, but it yeah. usually refers to a generation. Forty years is usually referred to as a generation. I don't know if that has any relevance to mm-hmm. the forty days here, but forty is a big number in the Old Testament. So. 
It brings up all kinds of illusions for the Jewish audience. Yeah, and I think four in general, but 40 specifically mm-hmm. and 40 days, 40 mm-hmm. years, whatever, is a number that always alludes to a, or at least mostly alludes to a trial mm-hmm. in which you will either be strengthened mm-hmm. by God and strengthened in your resolve to mm-hmm. follow God, yeah. or you will be found wanting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I think that's, that's the uh, explanation for that as far as the Old Testament reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three questions about the three temptations. Okay. Do you want each of them, or do you want a general? Let's go temptation? with each of them just real quick. Okay. Uh, how did Jesus respond to the first temptation, the stones into bread, mm-hmm. and what does that reveal about his identity and mission? Okay, so his reaction was to quote uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So that goes back mm-hmm. to this 40 years of trial. Uh, and the uh, the reference was not all of verse 3 of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, but the last part of it, which says that man shall not live on uh, bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what he's saying there is, God will provide for me. I'm not going to take over the plan from God. Yeah. God has a plan for me, which we see at the end of chapter of this section of chapter four, where he is yeah. attended by the angels and they come and help him. So rather than Jesus saying, "Okay, I'm going to take over here, God. I'm going to do it my way, not your way," uh, Jesus is saying, "No, I'm going to believe and trust in God. I'm going to trust in His provision for me, and I'm going to trust His word." Yeah. So to me, that's I think that's what the symbolism is, and I think the significance of this particular temptation and Jesus' response. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Um, and this, uh, I don't want to say it for the third podcast in a row. Yeah. This just, I'll say it super short. This just shows Jesus' reliance on God, mm-hmm. that he, I'm assuming, but I'm not sure based on all the kenosis, the emptying passages, how much he emptied the Son of God part of himself. Mm-hmm. how much he could tap into that at a moment's notice. I'm not sure how yeah. all that works. But what seems clear to me from this is that um, he, as the son of God in human form, is not relying on his son of God superpowers, right. but he is relying on right. his relationship with his right. heavenly father and that guy's superpowers, or yeah. with the Holy Spirit and that guy's superpowers. Yeah, John talks about this a lot, particularly chapters 5 and 6, that Jesus' job is to do the will of his father. Yeah. Okay. So Jesus is here not as an independent agent. Yeah. He is a person who is um, on mission. He's on mission. From he a is, sender. The word I'm looking for is a word we don't like is he's under submission. Yeah. He's under submission to God. He's on a mission, but he's in a mission that's under submission his to mission, God is to be submitted. His his mission on the earth is a submission right. of his right. mission to serve God. So we see the three. Ooh, that's cool. We see the three Godhead, and God has Jesus, who's co-equal with God, mm-hmm. but Jesus views himself as doing simply the will of God. That is, yeah. he talks about in the woman on the well, uh, in chapter four of John, when the disciples come back and they say, and, and Jesus t- is talking to him, and, and he tells the disciples, "I have food that you're not aware of." And the disciples are like, well, did, did he get yeah. some food from somebody else? And he's talking, he's talking about <laughs> spiritual food, yeah. and his food is the to do the will thing. of the Father. Yeah. So John makes it real clear that Jesus' main thing is not to rely on himself to provide his for his physical needs, but just to rely on doing the will of his Father and let God yeah. take care of it. Almost a similar, a very similar temptation. 
um, which actually the robot who wrote this, ChatGPT, mm-hmm. uh, there are three accounts of the three temptations of Jesus in the desert. Yes. There, are th- there are, I said that wrong. There are two accounts of the three. Is that what I said the first time? Oh, I don't know. there's three accounts, but there are three Mark's, accounts. Account, Mark's account is two verses, and it's very short. Yeah. It's just like you Jesus get get run into the desert, he was tempted, and the animals helped him, and he, he resisted them. I mean, it's very. It's, it's verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1 of John yeah. of Mark, and it's very, very short. Luke and Matthew have very similar accounts. I think they're both 11 or 12 verses long each, yeah. but they had the temptations mixed up in different order. The first one's always the first one, the stone and the yes. bread. Yeah. And then <laughs> what ChatGPT gave us is the order of Luke's, yes. which is stones to bread, all the kingdoms of this world yeah. throw you off the temple and angels are going to save you. Yeah, that's but, the Luke order. Yeah, but so it actually messed up, and John knew more than a robot about yeah. uh, But yeah. it messed up the actual order of Matthew's, yeah. which is important in how he's telling the story mm-hmm. and who he's saying Jesus is and how mm-hmm. this is working. Yeah, That goes stones to bread, take mm-hmm. care of your sustenance needs. Mm-hmm. Jump off this high point in the temple, and an angel will save you. Take care of your safety and like yeah. your your life yeah. needs. Yeah. So and then yeah, and then on God's to the protection. kingdoms yeah. of the world. Yeah. So, uh, here's the second one, the real second one. The second one in Matthew. In yes. Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the significance of the devil taking Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and challenging him to throw himself down? Well, it, it, that's an interesting one because yep. Satan uses scripture to try oh, yeah. to get to try to get Jesus to do what Satan wants, which I yeah. think is really interesting and why oh, we yeah. need the whole counsel of Scripture. Not Jesus. People can throw you off real easy. Yeah. Okay? We just heard a, a sermon. Trevor shared a, a sermon from a famous guy uh, who he was asked the question, um, what does God care more about? The letter of the law, the exactitude? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's word. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the intent of the law. And this this preacher was like, have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it makes yeah. it feel real yeah. silly. Yeah. Most of it is Jesus saying, "You have heard, don't, uh, don't be, don't murder." But, um, but actually, you're trying to thieve and connive around what God wanted out of that. Mm-hmm. So this is why I'm saying to you, uh, don't be angry at anybody in your heart because that you're murdering that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's talking about the intent of the Goes law. The- now, then you go to that, and you're like the letter of the law, the intent. But like, there's this intent God has mm-hmm. behind all mm-hmm. these. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. back to the devil quoting scripture at Jesus. Knowing yeah. the intent, the whole counsel of scripture. Yeah. 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 And if you, he, Satan actually kind of miss, he, he certainly misuses that scripture and yep. twists it. Uh, because you go back and read all of chapter 91 of, of Psalms, it talks about, first of all, if you want to be submitted to God, then you do these things. And, and Satan is using it just for the opposite way. So, but yeah. with that said, what, what, that Satan is trying to do is create doubt. And what he's trying to create doubt, I think, in this temptation is in Jesus' mind to get him to doubt God's protection for him. And uh, and I think, you know, he, he wants Jesus to do something, I think, in a very spectacular public way. I mean, this is, yeah. he, he wants me to go up on on the Temple Mount and throw himself off. And this is supposed to be supposedly on the southeast corner, which was the highest point, several hundred feet in the air at that point, and at Herod's Temple at this point in, in time. And and to have the basically the angels down there to catch him and make this very spectacular show, and and I think he's really trying to get Jesus to doubt either that God would do that, or to doubt that, or or to put God to the test so that 
he can show himself to be the Messiah in a way that God doesn't intend him to do that. In other words, yeah. to get the word out way before Jesus wants he's it to He's jumping the gun yeah. if he does this. Yeah, so he's trying to get ahead of God's plan and God's timing. And, and he's just he's using this temptation in a way that really says, God, you've got to show up all the time, and you've got to you've got to convince me over and over and over again you are who you say you are. Yeah. It's not a settled decision that I believe in God and I believe in His protection. It's like, well, God, you did a lot for this for me yesterday, but today I, you've got to show up again and, and show me this yeah. that you're God. So it, it's really unbelief. It's it's not proving God so much as showing your own unbelief. Yeah. What what Scripture records of Jesus communing with his father, going off to a quiet place to pray. And certainly this whole period of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, 40 days. I don't yeah, know if yeah. it says and nights, but yeah, it does. It, it does. I mean, it throws in that. nights too. Um, what you see from this is that he relies on God and there's never, you never see any miraculous bread appear, any right. healing, any whatever from Jesus to himself. Right. The closest you get is one gospel account talks about, how are we going to pay our taxes? And Jesus like goes over to the lake and takes a coin out of a fish's mouth. Mm-hmm. That's the closest he gets to selfish, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. or or any of these um, miracles being pointed at himself. Yeah. Um, and that's a, a reason that they're called signs and wonders mm-hmm. because they are wonderful, miraculous, spectacular, and they they say something about who Jesus himself mm-hmm. is. Yeah. So this would be a sign that Jesus is at least. Uh, approved of by God and sent by God and on a mission from God, um, but also of who Jesus is himself. But yeah. it's not from God. No. It's not God asking him it's to not. do it. It's not, like you said, in God's timing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. The test is not to throw yourself off of the temple. The test is to resist the devil telling you to throw yourself yeah. off the temple. And Jesus is trying to pass that test. Yeah, and think if Jesus had done this and it worked, then you'd have a whole bunch of crazy people going up on top of buildings and throwing yeah. themselves off, and they would. I want to be up like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Jump off so, this. yeah, it would probably <laughs> lead to really, really bad results. So, yeah. And then the th- last temptation is that this where is, we're at? Okay. Yeah. This is the question: uh, The devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. How did Jesus respond, and what can we learn from his response? Yeah, Jesus' response again is from Deuteronomy. I think it's six thirteen which is uh, basically you'll show up no other God uh, before you or you shall worship no other gods, something yeah. to that effect, which could be found in lots of places in the Old Testament. Uh, the first commandment is basically that same thing. I like this t- <clears throat> temptation. Excuse me, let me drink here. Yeah. Because really Satan is throwing the mask off at this point. Yeah. And saying, okay, I'm not going to twist Bible verses, and I'm not going to give you these not going to beat crazy, around the burning bush. Yeah, I'm not going to beat around the burning bush. <laughs> Good one. And, and he basically says, you worship me. That's what he wants. He, yeah. he wants to throw Jesus off the plan, and uh, and so he wants to have Jesus short-circuit or doubt the plan of God, which is, of course, to have him go to the cross. Yeah. <laughs> so what Satan is saying is, look, you don't have to do all that hard stuff. Let's do it the easy way. You'll get all this power. you get all this glory. You'll have all this authority on earth if you bow to me, and you won't have to go through all the pain. And, uh, and of course, as I mentioned in the sermon, I think that Jesus, I think, I think Satan is pretty desperate at this point, yeah. and it shows, and I think Jesus, I'm not saying it was easy for Jesus to do it, but I am saying it's kind of easy for Jesus. I think Jesus could see through this one very, very easy and, uh, and was able to just uh, dismiss Satan 
uh, and be, I think he said, be gone for me or something like that in, yeah. in this, in, in, in Matthew's gospel. And, and I think, I think it was, and I think that's the one that sent Satan packing. Now Satan didn't leave forever. Yeah. Uh, he's what, kinda, it, what does it say about Satan in there? It says he, does it say he went he, off to do something else? Or well, something? It, in Matthew's gospel, it just says he left and the angels came to attend him. Yeah. In Luke's gospel, it says that he left for a, another opportune time yeah, to come and tempt Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and we know that Jesus was tempted, obviously, or most people think he came certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane to test Jesus, yeah, uh, to try to him, you know, to get him to get off the plan one more time. But uh, it says in Hebrews that Satan or that Jesus was tempted like us in all things, and so I think throughout yeah. his life, Satan would come up at different times and try to tempt Jesus with different, yeah, I'm sure. different things. So, and and he said. Uh, Jesus said actually to Peter, get behind me, Satan, when Peter came to him and said, you don't, you don't have to go through all this stuff with the cross. You don't and have to suffer. exactly the same thing Satan offered here? Yeah, it hey, is. Hey, I'll it give is. you the kingship, the victory, without right. the cross and the yeah. suffering and forget the Forget about the hard stuff. Yeah, forget, forget about, about all that ugliness. Whipped to yeah. a bloody pulp. Yeah, we'll do it a different way. It'll be a better way. And yeah. Jesus is like, no. that's, <laughs> And he's very adamant in cutting him off yeah. and cutting later off cutting Peter off as far as his suggestion that, yeah. you know, we don't need to go through all this. Yeah. So anyway. Um, I have two questions, questions left. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> two questions left um, that I want to ask. There are okay. more, but they're not on leave the it to these chat two. GPD. They are. Okay. Uh, but I think they're pretty good ones. Okay, good. Um, this one you talked about in your sermon a little bit. Okay. Uh, at the end, but what can we learn from Jesus' reliance on Scripture to resist temptation, and how does this apply to our own spiritual battles? Yeah, super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I said in this sermon, and I think it's true, is that I think it's interesting Jesus didn't rely on some spectacular, miraculous sign, uh, fire from heaven or something, to deal with Satan when mm-hmm. Satan tempted him. Jesus relied on the same thing we can rely on, which is the Word of God. Okay, So the fact that Jesus relied and said, it is written, it is written. Uh, I think it's instructive for us in how we can overcome Satan. It's it. Yeah. So we need to be very intentional. I think in understanding and reading our Bibles, we don't have to memorize it. I wish we could, but at least having a functional knowledge of it and knowing what smells right or what looks right and what doesn't, and yeah. having that you know that spiritual antenna that's been fine tuned uh, by the Word of God. I, I used a Psalm 119.11, which I like, which yeah. is, you know, may I hide your word in my heart, hide your word in my heart, God, so that I might not sin against you. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of having Scripture not just available here in front of us, yeah. but actually having it in your heart, which means yeah. that you have it memorized, at least to some extent, so that when Satan attacks you, you don't have to look it up on your phone or Google it to say, oh, where you, you have yeah. it there available. Because if think um, about this. If you Google, uh, is it okay for me to do this sin, mm-hmm. what answer are you going to get? Are you going to yeah. get God's heart or are you right. going to get somebody's blog post about yeah. how these three verses say it's okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. But if you've been, like, drinking from the deep well of of the entire scope of Scripture— like you could probably come to that answer yourself and it be a lot more in line with what God actually wants, knowing also, what yeah. things smell like. You're right. I also quoted uh, yeah, this from is Ephesians uh, 17, 6.17, said, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word 
of God. So yeah. the sword of the Spirit. And this is Paul talking about doing battle with Satan in our yeah. lives and how we have to be prepared and be, you know, have all the helmet of all this uh, shoes and all this stuff And everything on. he mentions. Were, mm-hmm. were you about mm-hmm. to say this? No, go ahead. Okay, everything Paul mentions in that passage, helmet of salvation, the feet equipped with uh-huh. the readiness of the gospel or something like that, and the breastplate of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Breastplate, whatever, they're all salvation. defensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's only one offensive item. Oh, that's good. And yeah, that's the word of God. That. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what we can take out to defeat yeah. Satan. And, and I've seen that in my own life. And and I think it's it's so wonderful how the Holy Spirit, I think, can work in those situations to bring up Scripture. You may yeah. not think, well, I, I, you know, how did I come up with that? I think I think the Holy Spirit is there to help us. And yeah. Us. And so, yeah. That, but, but you need to have, I think, a daily ingestion of, just like we do food and water, we need that to come into our yeah. souls on a daily basis to be renewing our mind, to be transformed. It requires yeah. the scriptures to be in our to be in our lives. There are uh, three psalms, one of which you've already mentioned, but it's so long, mm-hmm. uh, that are called the, oh, I don't remember, the psalms of the law or something like that. Mm-hmm. One and 19 and, one, and yeah. 119. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And 119, I'm sure, among the 70, 100, whatever verses there are, 176 has mm-hmm. has more more to say about this than just the one or two we mentioned. Yeah. But Psalm 1, which is saying the same thing in six or eight verses, mm-hmm. is uh, let me not stand in the way of mockers or sit in the seat of yeah, scoffers right, or right. something else. Yeah. Uh, but <sighs> some I, I don't remember how it gets there, but it talks about uh, blessed is the man who's, uh, relies on mm-hmm. on your word. Yeah. He's like a tree planted by streams yep. of water. Right, right. Like you are actually being given being, life yeah. by drawing that water. If you from if soil. you read scripture mm-hmm. and you're just reading Leviticus yeah. and you're like, can't do that, can't do mm-hmm. that, can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's not one an encounter with the living God, and two hearing from God through His written word. Mm-hmm. But there's this thing that happens when our our lives are finding our vitality, our life, our vibrancy. Uh, our peace from mm-hmm. from a full life of meeting God in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something different that happens yeah. there, where right. you can just understand the heart behind it, and you can um, walk with God because He's talking with you mm-hmm. right now. It's easier to feel and hear Him later. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this yeah. is yeah, so important. I think it's super important how Jesus defends Himself is through the Word of God. So I think that's an incredibly important lesson out of this section of Scripture. Okay, last thing. Next, okay. Last, this last one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, And this is is how I love ending everything, um, which is, how does this end? Mm -hmm. Uh, How does this account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness foreshadow his ultimate victory over sin and Satan through his death and resurrection? Ooh, ooh, Okay. Well, again, this is a direct battle between God and Satan. Yeah. Between Jesus and Satan, okay? Just as you see it in Gethsemane and you see it in his final um, walk to the cross, if you will. So, the Via Dolorosa. Yeah, the Via Dolorosa. So, uh, yeah, I think this is just a foreshadow of the greater victory that Jesus has over Satan, over evil, over our adversary. And, and I think it... It shadows, uh, actually it kind of reverts back to, if you will, the, the story of David and Goliath in yeah. that David comes and confronts evil and he takes the very 
weapon of the enemy, which is Goliath's sword, and cuts mm-hmm. off Goliath's head. And you remember he carries around the head for a while yeah. and shows it off to Saul and a bunch of other people. And Jesus, in the same way, he takes the very weapon of Satan, which is the cross, and he uses that cross to defeat Satan's greatest victory, which is death. Yeah. And Jesus crawls up on that cross and willingly takes Satan's, you know, all the all the pain and suffering that Satan can throw at him and uses that symbolism of defeat that Satan has and uses it to cut off the greatest victory that Satan had, which is death. That was mm-hmm. the curse. You remember back in chapter yeah. 3, yeah. You'll, you'll die, and they did die. Uh, Adam Eventually. and Eve did. Everybody has since then except Jesus, and Jesus died but rose again. And maybe Enoch. And yeah. maybe well, you know, yeah. Anyway, there's and maybe Elijah, but, but yeah, yeah. But in a sense, they died. Yeah. Uh, they left this earth anyway. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, but I think it's it, it shows again. It, it foreshadows the greater victory of Jesus yeah. over Satan. I mean, that's and how I would. What's it. even more marvelous than what David did is David attacked the the big bad evil mm-hmm. whatever, and then used his own weapon to finish him off. What Jesus did, if he was, if you're trying to make a David and Goliath analogy. What Jesus did is took Goliath's sword into himself. Yeah. He took the wound. He took the the mm-hmm. death inflicted by mm-hmm. Goliath. Right. And then turned it back around. Right. Once 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 death had done its worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing to remember, and Lynn and I were talking about this afterwards, she said, Well, you know, I think one of the issues I had with your sermon was that it, <laughs> it made it seem like that we have to be victorious over Satan ourselves every time, and, and if we fail in any of our temptations, then we fail Jesus and we fail God, and we're marvelous or we're just worthless Christians. Mm-hmm. I said, well, no, that wasn't what I meant. But what I did mean is that, in a sense, and I, sh- I should have said this, you know, when Jesus overcomes Satan with the temptations, in the he is in effect our representative. He's like yeah. God is sending our big brother out there, yeah. our representative, to do what we couldn't do, and so like David. When he defeats Goliath, what happens is then all these soldiers that are in the army that were quaking for 40 days, yeah. that's another 40-day reference. Satan, there we go. Satan, or, uh, Goliath came out for 40 days to yeah. taunt the enemy, uh, to taunt Israel. And But once the head was cut off and after that victory, then the army surged forward and we all gained the victory. Yeah. In the same way, when Jesus defeats Satan, we all, in a sense, gain the victory through him. Yeah. Okay. So I think this foreshadows his bigger victory on the cross, which is really our victory. Yeah. Through him. If I can use Ephesians 6 again, I mean, what is the word of God? Is it the Bible or is it Jesus himself, according to John? And so he is the word. Like, both our only offensive weapon is scripture itself. Mm -hmm. For Jesus, apparently, just two chapters in Deuteronomy is all Mm -hmm. it took. Uh, Mm hmm. But also, Jesus himself is our only weapon. And that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. go out and uh, uh, tell everybody else they're sinners and hate on everybody and never invite them to Mm -hmm. dinner. But that means that, like, Jesus himself is is our victory. Yeah. And is our victory against uh, (laughs) all of Satan's fiery darts. (laughs) Yes. uh, Which I've heard many a preacher say diary farts. (laughs) But... (laughs) <laughs> it's hard not darts. to. You think it about is it. hard not and to. And I'll never be able to say it without saying that now. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I think right. it's I, – I can't remember what the question was now, but I think it's the victory. How, how does know? it allude to the victory, final yeah. victory, death yeah. and resurrection? Yeah. 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 And so he does what we couldn't do, what Adam couldn't do, 
and and he gains the victory yeah. for us. We yeah. don't have to win a victory ourselves right. by him. Right. Even we just have to follow him in his suffering, yeah. in his death, and in his resurrection. Yeah. yeah. So. Yep. Well, I think this has been that a really good episode. Yeah. 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 That's it. Uh, if you feel like there's something we didn't cover or something that was confusing or something we missed, mm-hmm. uh, please let us know in the comments if you're on YouTube or email me at ryan at kingswaymo.com. And uh, if you did, you would be the first person from a hundred and <laughs> almost fifty episodes well, of podcast. So I'll you want to be the question. first person? Yeah, that do would it. Be awesome. Uh, anyway, but if you feel like you missed, we missed anything, or there's something yeah. you learned you want to tell us about, uh, just hit yeah. us up in any of those locations. And yeah. if you can um, review, uh, subscribe on YouTube or review. Also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Review us anywhere. Um, give us however many stars you think we earned. Uh, any of that helps. Can you give uh, six stars? Six? Can you give six stars? Or is that you cannot give six oh, stars okay. on anything that I'm aware of. You can <laughs> okay. give five stars. Five stars. You can okay. maybe even give half stars. Yeah. And if you gave us one half star, I'd keep making these because I yeah. think they're too fun. But <laughs> maybe not for you. Uh, anyway, but if you enjoyed this episode, uh, hit us up in any of those ways, and we will be back next week mm-hmm. with uh, I think Trevor's preaching the rest on of chapter four. The rest of chapter yeah. four. So. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned. Catch us back next week. Have a great and glorious day in the Lord. See ya. See ya.